everybody. It's Marcus Grant here from NFL.com Fantasy. Before we get to the coaching show, let's have a quick talk. Do you think fantasy football season was over? Come on, man. You don't have to wait till next year. You can play more fantasy football for real cash this season. Just go to FanDuel.com. Check out Matt Nichols, for instance. Guy from Ohio turned $25 into $25 grand playing fantasy football on FanDuel. Look, you can join him and the other hundreds of thousands of users who already won money. I mean, look, you can't all be like me. You can't get to the finals of your fantasy league every single season like I do. But with FanDuel, it's a chance for you to come out and win some real bucks every single week. FanDuel.com. It's the leader in one-week fantasy football leagues. Real money with entry fees starting at just a buck. Plus, only two weeks left to play this NFL season. you got to get on it right now. Go to FanDuel.com. Click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner. Use my code COACHES. Sign up now, plus a new user special. Bonus of up to $200 on your first deposit for every dollar you deposit. FanDuel will match it up to $200. $200, folks. Offer's only good for the first 50 people that use my code COACHES. Don't forget, code COACHES. Don't miss out on the all-fantasy football, all the fantasy football you can handle. FanDuel.com, where every week is a new season. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Sign up today. This is NFL.com's Coaches Show Podcast. 40 men together can't lose. This is why you lift all them weights. Everybody's driving out there. Nobody's got them. And now we're going. There's a gleam, men. There's a gleam. Welcome to this edition of the Coaches Show. I'm thrilled to have a special guest this week joining me. And Jim Fossil, and, and Jim, I can't think of a better guy to talk to with some of the things of where we're at right now. I, I'm sure I'm like you. I love the divisional round of the playoffs because the eight teams involved, I think, tell us something about where we are as a league right now. What do you make of the teams that are going into the divisional round right now? Well, I mean, uh, Brian, you know as well as I do, there's three speeds to the NFL. There's the preseason, there's the season, and now you're into the playoff season and uh the tempo picks up quite a bit you know there's some some things that go along i mean the same old things are going to happen in this happen in the regular season uh you know one team made it into the playoffs with a negative turnover ratio that turnovers are the number one factor in determining winning so that's that's got to be going in and you know most of the teams got good quarterbacks so uh, it'll be interesting, you know, and like all these games in the playoffs, it just takes one bad mistake by a team and you lose. Yeah, do we? And we, it's long been made, of course, that it's a quarterback driven league, but we have three teams that Seattle and Carolina and even Dallas. And now Seattle and Carol, uh, Dallas obviously have some dynamic playmakers and at a quarterback as well. But, but are we seeing a little bit of a sea change, you think, where the emphasis or the re-emphasis on having that running game is beginning to come about? Well, I think so. And I think, you know, we're in a crazy pass mode league right now. But still, you know, the basic things are going to win for you. You know, and you know as well as I do, turnover ratio, being able to stop the run and be able to run the football. Offensively, if you can run the football – then you throw by choice, not out of necessity. And when you throw out of choice, you're going to be a lot more successful. And you're going to be in manageable third-down situations. So it's a rarity to see a team that doesn't run the ball real well uh, survive this next onslaught of uh, playoffs. Yeah, and, and the, you, you talk about, obviously, a quarterback-driven league as well. The home team, Seattle, Green Bay, New England, and Denver. We're talking about two Hall of Famers 
in Tom Brady and, and Peyton Manning, and then obviously possibly three. I don't think it's a stretch to say Aaron Rodgers is heading that way. And obviously what's going on in Seattle with Russell Wilson. Let's come back to Denver to a second. Everybody's talking about, and they've reemphasized the run over the last month, been pretty good. I can't think of anybody that is more knowledgeable in quarterback play. Do you see anything different in the play of Peyton Manning? You know, it seems to me like I, I, I thought his shoulder was bothering him. Uh, I, I, you know, no, no quarterback his age is going to have his fastball like he had 10 years ago. But sometimes it just looks like he is not exactly comfortable where, where, where the guy's going to be depth-wise or anything like that, that just, you know, just a little bit throws it off. Just a tiny little bit throws it off. And, you know, uh, the other thing is all the great quarterbacks, you know, they got the guts of a burglar. I mean, they'll try to stick it in there anywhere, and they usually can do it. But if you lose a little of your fastball and you're still trying to do that and you're not exactly sure is that guy making the right cut, it just throws off your passing game. And I, I think that you know, for them to start develop that running game when they did, I think I think it's helped it. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. It's I, I don't know that the layperson could see the difference in him throwing the ball from from one year to the next, from one game to the next. But I agree with you a hundred percent. It doesn't take much when you have a quarterback of the stature of whether it be Tom Brady, whether it be Aaron Rodgers, or or Peyton Manning, to take a little bit off of what they normally are successful with, and all of a sudden it can really betray you. And that brings us maybe to Aaron Rodgers, the calf injury that he's continued to have. Obviously they've had the week off, and that will make a difference. But i got to believe, particularly if I'm the the Dallas Cowboys, I'm going to do everything I can. This is going to sound odd because the last thing you want is Aaron Rodgers running around outside the pocket because he can kill you that way. But I'm not sure, given the case of that calf right now, that I don't try to orchestrate some things that maybe force him out of the pocket a little bit. Well, I think so. Yeah, you, you could. Uh, I mean, it sounds funny to force him out of the pocket because he makes a lot of plays. But I think you're right. I mean, I would try it at the beginning. You know, yeah, get the apex going up the middle and give him a kind of an escape one way or the other, and try to push it in his face. And, and I would test it. Now, if he's he gets outside and he's doing good and he's throwing it on, well, let's get back to a normal uh, power rush all at all four corners. But you know, I think you got to kind of find that out because nobody knows, really nobody knows how severe that is or how close he comes to pulling that calf muscle again. Yeah, and that, that obviously, he was brilliant in what he did at the end of the year against Detroit with the pulled calf muscle. But if it shows up early against a team like Dallas, that uh, obviously that's going to be an issue for them going forward. Let's talk about Dallas. Tony Romo's had a phenomenal year, and obviously he's constantly battling. Well, you can't win the big one. I don't know that there are too many positions in sport, maybe shortstop for the Yankees, maybe point guard for the uh, L.A. Lakers. I I don't know that garner more attention than the quarterback position in Dallas. But Tony Romo with this year, do you think he's really moved past that stigma of, well, you're only so good or you can't win the big one? Well, I think he has, but he's had help doing that. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm sure you'd be telling him the same thing I would have told him years ago. I, I said this to John Elway when I went back to Denver. I said, John, don't try to win the game by yourself. Everybody's got to play a part in winning and, and, and minimize the risks and work your way into the game. And the biggest fault that everybody knows, 
was when they didn't have a run game. And, you know, the play started out bad. Maybe they had a leakage in the protection. Maybe a guy broke a route. Maybe something happened. He still tried to make a dramatic play. And, you, you know, they're paying the guys on defense, too. And, you know, minimize when something doesn't go right with the beginning of the play. You're under pressure. The guy breaks the wrong route. Your best guy is sitting in the third row. Throw it to him and live another day. And he got himself in so much trouble trying to make big plays when it would have been a dynamic big play because the play didn't start out there. Yeah, I think you make a great point. I think we saw, by way of example, Drew Brees this year, from year to year, the number of interceptions he throws, really, to me, is a tincture of how bad is the defense he's playing with. Last year they were better, so he didn't have to take the chances. They didn't have to win sheerly outscoring people. Uh, uh, last year. This year they had to. So Drew Brees threw a lot more interceptions because he felt like he had to make those plays. And I think your points will take in about Tony Romo having to do that same thing. Now that they're playing better on defense, they're running the ball so much more effectively, that is, it's obviously balanced. Well, let, let me, I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit on this last one, but I'll, I'll, I'll help you a little bit in terms of my perspective. Cam Newton obviously is a unique talent in what he's doing. Beyond the fact that the success, he's running the ball well, the way Carolina has been uniquely made it into the playoffs, they got a big decision at the end of the year here, whether they're going to give him one of those $100 million contracts. Based on where you see Cam Newton right now, do you think he's worthy of one of those contracts? Well, you know, we probably we came from the same plot. $100 million is a lot of money. I don't care how fast yeah, you say it. Exactly you know? right. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's really hard, but, you know, it's, it's where the game is, and I and I think that, to me, if I'm in that building, and I say this guy is a leader on the team, he's a hardworking guy. If he if he qualifies for all the, you know, non-playing type stuff, he works hard. Uh, he's a ascending player. We see him getting better every day. He leads this team, and yep, you go pay the guy. If you've got questions about his work ethic. Uh, how he leads the team? Is he a leader on the team? If you got questions and you're that, then then I'm saying, wait a minute, you might want to back up. But then it's the same old question. If you let him go, who are you going to go get? Yeah, that's always and the other so, the other shoe that has to drop. If not him, then one. The concerns I have with Cam Newton because I think he's kind of checked off a lot of those boxes. I still worry about his deep ball. He he he's got a great fastball now, and he can make some throws that very few guys in this. Lee can. He can be on that left hash and throw that deep comeback on a, on a rough frozen rope to the right. But the, it's the touch passes, those intermediate where he's got to drop it in over the linebacker, where he's, he's got the arm to be a big ball thrower. But as you and I both know, deep balls are, are not a function of arm strength. They're a function of, of timing and of touch. And I, I don't know that over the years with him now, I've seen that touch. I'd be really concerned about giving him one of those big contracts. And now you, they can try to give him one of the Alex Smith-type contracts or even a Colin Kaepernick-type contract, but I don't think he'll take it. Yeah, you, you're probably right there. I, I, I would agree with you. I think a lot of quarterbacks that, well, my, my only, I, I agree with you on this, is that when he tries to throw the ball short, he still gets a lot of movement in his arm. Okay? A lot of movement. And it's hard to be accurate. You need to shorten your stroke a little bit. You know, gather yourself up. And it's like I tell all the quarterbacks. I said, if you're 10 feet off the green and you take your pitching wedge out of your bag, are you going to take a full swing at it? No. 
you're going to take a little bit back and follow through because you've got more control on the ball and be more accurate. And when you're throwing underneath, don't take the wind-up like you're going to throw the comeback on the opposite side of the field. Okay, that, that, that requires a lot more movement. But when you're going to dump it, I mean, you can just barely. Bill Walsh used to teach it. If I'm going to dump it to the back and I'm in the pocket, you know, walk, walk through with your right hip, and it'll keep you from just a lot of movement there. And it makes sense. Yeah, I remember uh, Bill Walsh talking about when he went to try out Phil Simms, someone you're very familiar with, obviously, and big, strong arm quarterback in, in, in Moorhead, and, and, uh, and he just kept firing the ball. And Bill, at every turn, said, okay, now I want you to throw it softer. I want you to throw it softer. I want you to throw it softer. Phil finally said, well, I can throw it to you underhand if you want, Coach. But that idea of that touch and developing that touch, it's so subtle. Uh, it's, it's one that concerns me with a strong arm quarterback like like uh, Cam Newton, and I'm not sure he'll ever get it. Yeah, I know. I mean, you, you can do it. I, I did it with Kerry Collins. Kerry Collins, everybody said, he wasn't accurate with the ball. And he had a long delivery, which, you know, a long delivery is not good, and the longer the delivery, the less accuracy you're going to have. But it was all through the carriage of the ball. He would carry it up by his ear, and then that right there will make it a longer arm action. Drop the ball down. I think Aaron Rodgers carries the ball better than anybody in the league. And when he goes back, he's very smooth, very relaxed. Um, and I think that's why he's one of the more accurate guys. And But I think some of these guys, Sam Newton's one of them, and when he tries to have touch on the ball, he still has a long delivery. Yeah, it's, it's something that obviously they're going to have to make a tough decision. I can't imagine them letting him get out of Carolina but it would be a concern I would have going forward. I don't want to let you get away without asking you some of the bigger bigger picture questions, Jim, because you have such a, an insight to it. We're going through the, and we're all familiar with it, the coaching changes throughout the NFL right now. And I don't know, I, maybe I just sound like an old man, but it just seems different than when you and I were doing this, where what they're looking for in a hedge coach, in my opinion, it's become a general manager's league. And they're beginning with that, and these guys are not looking necessarily for head coaches as much as they are uh, some guru on the offensive or defensive side of the ball. And we see general managers piecing the coaching staff together as opposed to the coach that they hired. Do you kind of see it the same way I do? Yeah, I do. And, and if you look at it, do a study on the teams that are pretty much consistently competitive. It has to do with ownership and front office. It really does. Managing the cap, letting the coach be the most important guy, okay? Not somebody saying, I'm going to pick your team for you, or I'll pick your coaches for you, or all that. That's, that's eroded this. And you look at the teams that are consistently good, the front office is well run, and they manage it. And, you know, I don't know what your deal was, but when I went to the Giants, George Young, he, I think he was one of the best general managers. I had the final say on 53. Nobody could overrule me. The general manager, owner, nobody. I picked the final 53. We worked together on, on uh, the scouting report, or the, uh, the, the scouting of the players. Uh, but I just keep seeing that sometimes the young guys, I mean, they're so anxious to get a job, they'll say anything. I'll do anything. You want, me to, you want to hire my coaches? Yeah. You want to, I won't say anything about the draft. It, the coach has to be that way simply because he holds the threat over the players you better play well for me because otherwise nobody here is going to save you, okay? When I decide you're not playing well, you'll be out of here. And then you can get a reflection from the, from the players. 
Yeah, it's interesting the way it progresses, and, and we tend to go through the cycles, obviously, and the names that they're looking at now. But I agree with you 100%. And, and as we both know, at the end of the day, it does have to be a relationship. Whatever the structure is between the general manager and, and the head coach and, and however that comes about, obviously ownership has to be a part of it, but it does have to have that special relationship. I want to ask you also, we talked before we got on air here, your son John Fossil is doing a phenomenal job in St. Louis in special teams. And I've talked with a number of coaches, and we've seen, or at least what I think, particularly in the latter part of the season, we've seen more blocked punts, more uh, blocked field goals, uh, kickoff returns, punt returns for touchdowns. And when I visit with coaches, some believe it's because with the, the new rules of the collecting bargaining agreement and the limited practice time, that, that that's affecting, of all things, special teams play. What do you think of that? Well, I, I wouldn't share that thought. I mean, there's there's plenty of teams that are really good on special teams. You know, they're really good. And, uh, you know, the thing that I think hurts sometimes is that it is in the NFL that either ownership, general manager, head coach, somebody said, you know, I don't want him playing on special teams. You know, he's our nickelback or something. And I think they kind of dilute that a little bit. And uh, and I think also because of salary cap issues and all that stuff, you don't keep a guy around in his fourth year or fifth year if he's just a special teams guy. You can't afford it. Okay, you've got a guaranteed contract when he steps on the field his fourth year. Uh, the the money goes way up, so you're playing with younger players, and I think that's because of salary cap. And like you brought up a little while ago, you're paying quarterbacks a hundred million dollars somewhere somewhere on your team, that has to be made up in dollars. And I think sometimes it goes where you don't keep a special teams player, you get another guy, a young guy. Yeah, no question about it. And I think speaking about special teams coaches, since we're in the hiring of coaches now, I think special teams coaches are an untapped resource that teams ought to consider for head coaching jobs. Because you think about it, one, they've got to work with everybody on the team. Two, they've got to find that player that maybe athletically doesn't fit that exact thing you want in a backup linebacker or a backup tight end, but you've got to find that part of his game that can be functional on special teams. You're working with a bunch of guys that, at the end of the day, really don't want to be doing that. They all want to be starters on offense and defense. I think special teams coaches is an area that managements ought to be looking at a little bit closer for potential head coaching positions. Oh, I agree with you, and, uh, you know, I mean, he does deal with everybody. He's got the biggest group, the coach. And generally speaking, they only have one assistant. You might have nine assistants on offense. And, uh, you know, but, you know, it's like, it's like this. John Harbaugh is classic, classic about this. He's an outstanding head coach. Absolutely. Um, he was a special teams coordinator his career. When they had a little shakeup with Andy Reid and changing some people, he asked to go coach the secondary. He coached the secondary one year, and he's a head coach. Yeah. Now, I mean, did one year of coaching defense make a difference? I mean, no, no. He's got leadership qualities, and he understands the game. So I mean, it always concerns me when they say, we want an offensive coach or a defensive coach or this or that. You're hiring a head coach. There's yeah, exactly right. There's a lot more right. to it than just offense and defense. Yeah, no question about it. And that it is, I think, an untapped resources and teams should look at it. Okay, I can't let you off here before we talk about the matchups this weekend. Let's put it this way. The home team, Seattle, Green Bay, New England, Denver, are all favored. 
Of the visiting teams, Carolina, Dallas, Baltimore, and Indy, is there one team, if you had to choose one, that you think has the best chance of getting a road win here in the divisional round? Wow, that's a good question. <laughs> um, wow. I'm kind of thinking uh, Baltimore because they're not afraid to go into Foxborough. And actually, Joe Flacco, when you look at the, the matchups, the seven games they've played against New England, his numbers are actually a lot better than Tom Brady. So of the matchups I'm looking at, we know Dallas can be very good in Green Bay. Green Bay's a tough place to win. But I think Baltimore going to New England could, if there's one place, that would be, now maybe I'm biased because it's Baltimore, but, but I kind of think that might, if I had to pick one, that's probably the way I'd go. I, I couldn't disagree with you. I couldn't, you know, they're, they're, they're playing pretty good right now. And, um, you know, the other one that I think would go on the road uh, would be Indianapolis. Interesting, yeah, just because Andrew Luck, and he's, what a magnificent young quarterback that is. Oh, he, he'll, he'll go down as the greatest quarterback of all time. I mean, the numbers he's already put up as a young quarterback, far superior to anybody else that came in the league in their first four or five, six years, the numbers he put up. I mean, if he keeps on that pace, whoa. Yeah, going to be great matchups either way. Coach, I can't tell you much. I, I appreciate taking the time to spend with us here on the Coach's Show. We need to do this again. Oh, anytime, Brian. I love talking football with you. Sounds great.